0: There will never be an opportunity that you can sit back and say, we're doing well in the ratings, that's going to continue. We're making good money, that's going to continue. The advertising market for free-to-air television is strong, that's going to continue. Those three things will never happen again. Welcome to the Crawford Media
1: Podcast. My name is Hal Crawford. This week, I'm hoping you had the chance to listen to my interview with Michael Anderson, which I posted towards the end of last year. Michael is my former boss, and in that discussion, we talked about the encouragements, a list of 10 statements I had distilled from the philosophy and theories of Alfred Adler. If you heard that interview, then you've got a head start in understanding my conversation today, which is with Paul Henry. I recorded this two years ago, just as I was leaving my role as news director of MediaWorks in Auckland. Paul is a famous figure in New Zealand, He began in radio, moved to owning a radio station, running for parliament, and eventually working in TV as a morning show host. In my first meeting with Paul in 2016, he told me he was quitting. He was the network's biggest star and this was a disaster. Despite all my best efforts to keep him, Paul left. He wanted to be free and he wanted to sail his boat around the world. I came to really like Paul, even if he did abandon me, and as I developed my thinking about the encouragements and management, I decided I really wanted to bounce my ideas off him. Paul's been a controversial figure in New Zealand, shockingly forthright, right wing, but not malicious, and in my experience, an honorable guy. He's also one of the best broadcasters I have ever worked with, and it's still surprising to me that his attempt at cracking the Australian market didn't turn out. This one, for me, is a personal journey. And it's kind of seeking answers to questions rather than giving advice, because I just
0: find giving advice very barren. Also, it's extraordinarily frustrating because no one ever takes it. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people, not a lot, but I've, I've talked to a lot of business mentors who say they gave up in the end because... People's businesses that they were mentoring would crash and burn because they did nothing that they advised them to do. They feel satisfied having read advice or listened to advice that they've done their due diligence. So I'm on this quest to find
1: out the best way to be a manager and the best way to run businesses. I'm interested in individuals and my big thing as I've grown older is about responsibility and As a result of a book that I read that discussed the philosophy of Alfred Adler, who was a Viennese dude, psychoanalyst, I've developed these encouragements
0: for people. And if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask you to read them out. The 10 encouragements. You've, You've broken them into categories. You, others work. Okay. So under you, you have chosen to feel the way you feel. Being normal is okay. You have a job to do. Under others... Forget about being liked. Forget about recognition. Forget about approval. And under work, every work problem is a people problem. Stop providing solutions and really help people. Making a contribution is the key to job happiness. Each person needs a place to belong. Mm. Any of those uh, reach out and grab you? Well, under you, you've chosen to feel the way you want the, the way you feel you've chosen that there's no question that that's true no question that that's true i've always subscribed to the view that fundamentally and you can always find exceptions fundamentally you are where you are because that's where you want to be and people will turn around immediately and say well, well i don't want to be poor you know well then make yourself rich you know the, so maybe you don't want to be poor you want to put in the kind of effort that results in being poor. So you are where you are because that's where you are. So you've chosen to feel the way you feel. I would 100% agree with that. Being normal is okay. Can I explain that yes, one? flesh that one out. Yeah, okay.
1: We may have a problem in that we constantly tell people they're special. And actually, it kind of does this reverse thing. And it's hard to go against because we've it's Hollywood, and we're told from the minute that we go to primary school that we're special. I think there's a dissonance there because most people know they're not special. And it doesn't mean they're not worthwhile and they're, not, they're worthy of respect. Of course they are. I think every individual is worthy of respect, but they're not particularly special. They're not special. And being normal is just the flip side of that, which is don't get head up mm. on having to be an exception. You don't have to be an exception.
0: That's interesting, because I would never have thought to put that down The interesting thing in the book that I'm writing at the moment is the realization that the most normal people that I associate with are probably the happiest. They're probably the ones that are the most secure. And many of these normal people that I associate with in the States, you would consider to be at the bottom of the pecking order. Some of them very poor, or they appear to be very poor, but in many other ways, extraordinarily rich. Well, if I look at myself against my driver in Palm Springs, my driver in Palm Springs lives in a trailer park, and not a good trailer park. It's hard to find a good trailer park, but there are good trailer parks, not good enough that I would ever live in one. <laughs> but, but, but there are like everything, there are good, there are mm. mediocre, and there are pretty shitty trailer parks. His is a pretty shitty trailer park. He lives there because he has chosen, he chose 9, 10 years ago to give up work because he wanted a quality of life a different quality of life to the sort of quality of life that i want and he is entirely content he has a full life as he scans the universe from the inside of his some would use the word squalid trailer versus someone like me who has so many options and yet is enormously dissatisfied quite often You you and I have talked about that actually, and this is
1: given that we've got a license to digress, we we can do that. And I just see you and I get on well, and last time we met we talked about your boat and the problems associated with its maintenance and upkeep which were considerable. In fact, I was glad I wasn't you that day. I think you had like a million dollar GST bill potentially waiting for you or something ridiculous. Anyway, do you think you're more dissatisfied than most people?
0: Probably. Yeah, probably. and, And is that because I want more than most people? Or is it because I just am not satisfied with what I have, regardless of what I want? It's hard to know. I don't really go from wanting one thing to another. I'm not one of those people that, that has the next thing on the must-have list and as soon as you've got it, rather than enjoy it or be satisfied with it, you move to the next thing on your must-have list. I'm not like that. But I do spend a lot of my life waiting to live, less than I used to. and And, and a lot of people spend most of their life waiting to live, you know, Oh, as soon as I'm retired, I'll be able to do those things. You know, I'm going to buy the beach house I've always wanted as soon as I've paid off my mortgage. Just as soon as I've done that, everything will be fine. I'd really like one of those cars, but the kids are a bit young at the moment, so I need something that's easier to get in and out of or that that will hold a bassinet, you know? So it's that constant, you know, are you having fun? Almost. (laughs) You know, oh no, but I know how I'm going to have fun. And actually, you just die before you you finally get those things. And you know, you'll go to a place. Like I I travel a lot and you'll go to a place and you'll think, I'll probably look around next time I come here, you know? And how many of us get into a car, there's no need to rush, right? You've put your kids in the car, you've got a a weekend away and it all becomes about getting there. Shit, we're going to have fun as soon as we get there, you know? As soon as I get the kids in the car, as soon as I load all this shite in the car, it's going to be fun. You know, of course it's not. You're in the car. Just got to get there. Just got to get there. One of the kids says, oh, God, what's that? Can we stop there? Oh, hell no. Hell no, you know, but it will be so much fun. We get, you get there, you know. Oh, well, this is great. Just get the stuff out the car. You know, we can't have fun until the car's empty. But let's just get checked in. Can we go down to the beach? Not yet. You can't. Don't start having fun yet. There's dinner. Well, where are we going to go for dinner? Well, I'm thinking about the drive home tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's life right there. I don't really care about being liked. In fact, I can wear not being liked as a kind of a badge of honour. You know, I don't go out determined to not be liked. But it, when it's obvious some people don't like me, I think, hmm, job done. You know, because I have been myself. Because they're not not liking me because they don't, they don't believe I'm being honest to myself. They're not liking me because they don't like my honest self. So job done. Right. No, but recognition is a different thing. I mean, the thing that annoys me most is being disliked unreasonably. So being criticized for something I actually didn't do. People that don't like me for legitimate reasons love it. You have a job to do. It's meant
1: to be about... I have my jobs and you have your jobs and I'm not going to do your jobs for you. I'm not going to do your things. You're going to look after those. If you have a problem with someone else, you you need to sort that out. You and I spoke once and we talked about the importance of a leader putting down expectations and holding people to them. And that is the pride of doing a job well and
0: it helps to have a leader who holds you to account. People need a framework. And a framework only works if you are judged against it and if there is an expectation that there will be a penalty if for any reason you haven't met the requirements of that framework within which you work. A lot of managers are not good at clearly articulating or presenting the framework within which people will be judged. And I think ambiguity in an area like that is very, very complex for people who who are already probably in their own lives fairly ambiguous. Mm. And you know, simplicity, you've got to make things simple.
1: And the reason that people don't is that they're actually afraid that they don't have enough to do in their jobs. They're
0: afraid of looking bad. There is a huge investment in trying to overcomplicate things for a range of reasons, I think. A huge investment in that. I feel like I'm leaving at a time when everything is
1: open and up in the air more so than ever. Mm. And, to looking at the history of the company,
0: that seems to be a constant. Has that been your experience? Yeah. Yeah. And it's because the golden years are well, well behind this industry. Well, well behind this industry. So there isn't the satisfaction of being able to sit back and say, there's no foreseeable reason why things will not continue more or less the way they are at the moment. Whereas at the moment now, there are dramatic changes, dramatic things have to be done to, to, to keep your head above water. If I were giving a farewell speech now in a position that you're in, I would start by just posing the question, when's the right time to go? When is the job done here from now on? in, the job will never be done. This is always going to be a struggle. There will never be an opportunity that you can sit back and say, we're doing well in the ratings, that's going to continue. We're making good money, that's going to continue. The advertising market for free-to-air television is strong, that's going to continue. Those three things will never happen again. And they ha- there have been times in the past where you could reasonably have said all those things. Okay, so the forgets. Forget about being liked. We've, we've covered that one, and I,
1: I knew that you wouldn't mind not being liked. It's actually a real strength of yours, because... You know, when we did the surveys about what people think of our stars, you came out as the most loved and the most hated. From that moment I realized that that was exactly what I was looking
0: for. Cuz you don't want people who are not disliked and you do want people who are thought about. So to have people have a strong opinion on someone means they are thinking about them and that is is absolutely far and away the most important thing. And as you knew, even quite a lot of the people who openly Disliked
1: you, but they actually listen to you as well. They listen
0: well, to Well, because a, a strong motivation is to have your prejudices confirmed. And that is why a lot of people still listen to talk back radio, because let's face it, most of the people who take part in talk back radio are morons. And so you don't listen, or at least intelligent people don't listen to talk back radio to have their beliefs reinforced. They listen to have their prejudices reinforced. Yeah. And that's why everyone reads about Trump too, of course. Mm. So they listen to you, you know. So, 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 so essentially people, I, I imagine anyway, people would love watching me and all of a sudden turning around and saying, That's why I hate that guy. Did you hear what he just said? Ugh, you know, how can he even? I hate that. But to be able to get that joy and that reaction, you actually have to watch. Yeah. But
1: you, you were also quite unusual for me because I came over from Australia and. You know, I knew your reputation. I'd, I'd watched a bit of you and liked it,
0: but I expected you to be nasty and you're not nasty at all. You're also very nice, Hal. You're great company and that's an interesting thing. Think about all the people that you work with and you've worked with. I mean, how many can you honestly say are great company?
1: You can get something interesting out of most people. Now, forget about recognition, forget about approval. When I was growing up, I was a good boy. So for me, this is the hardest one to forget certainly as you get older, it becomes more and more bullshit. The idea that you have to be approved of, the idea that you're here to gain the approval of others.
0: Where, where do you sit on that? Forget about recognition. Forget about approval. I, I would agree with those. I think a lot of people would find it hard to agree with those. Obviously, forget about being liked is the easiest one for me. To- it's not easy for a lot of people. A lot of people, that's what their life is all about. They measure themselves against those three things being liked about recognition and approval.
1: We've talked many times about freedom and, and the individual. These forgets are the key to freedom for a lot of people. Work. Every work problem is a people problem. Now, have you been in a environment, maybe back in your radio days or whatever, when you were a business owner,
0: where there was a problem that didn't have people at the base of it. I think you could easily come up with exceptions to that rule. From my
1: point of view, this is every problem I care about is a people problem. You know, a transmitter breaks. Actually, we, we had an aerial at Ruru that got cut in half by a storm. That was not a people problem. But it was an act of God. I didn't care about that because that was just something that happened that we had to fix up. What I care about is when, you know... Someone double crosses you and it makes you feel super bad and you're like, okay, I've got to confront that person. Someone is disingenuous, disloyal. For me, when I have to confront them about it, I find it causes immense inner conflict and turmoil. Does that ring true with you? you, Have you had meetings with people where you felt sick in the
0: stomach and you just weren't looking forward to it and you were anxious? Absolutely. And there is something insidious about People problems. I mean, I, I think your adaptation of every work problem as a people problem to every work problem I care about as a people problem is a good one. Is, is a good one because it's it's that then is a rule. I think that slight change makes it a rule. I mean, the the ability that people problems have, the ones that you've described, to gnaw away at you in a disproportionate amount to the actual level of crisis that is caused by that people problem, is extraordinary because they do gnaw away at you. Stop. Oh, stop providing solutions. This is this is the classic one for the manager. I stopped
1: doing this a long time ago, but I still have to catch myself. I want to fix people's problems. Yeah. So someone comes in here and something's happened. You know, the aerial's fallen over at Ruru, and I just go into solution mode. I'm like, okay, all right, what can I do to fix it? It's not my job. Yeah. What about making? Oh yeah, making a contribution, and each person has a needs a place to belong. Now, the older I get, the more I understand that. A lot of satisfaction and happiness comes from doing something good in a framework of people. Just feeling like you've done a great job is so important and then
0: feeling like you're good at what you do. But is some of that because you want to be liked, you want recognition and you want approval? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I just
1: get... There's a part of me, Paul, that always wants to go and write the stories because I know I'm good at it. Yes. And if I write a story to this day, I feel like, great, I've actually done something. Whereas my job is actually just talking to people and listening to people and making decisions.
0: Yeah. Holding them to account and to to some degree, assisting them to write better stories. But it doesn't really feel like work. No. It doesn't feel
1: like, oh, man, I really nailed it today. You know, I had a great conversation. (laughs) Tell me about contribution and community and, and your work. Because you, you are, you do fly solo very often.
0: It comes back though, doesn't it, to how we judge ourselves. I mean, I am a loner, almost a recluse in many ways, not actually a recluse, but almost a recluse in many ways. If I think about the places I like the best, the times I like the best, they are almost invariably times when I'm on my own in places where I'm fundamentally on my own. So contribution, it's nice to walk away from things being satisfied that something's been completed i wanted to know what's the hardest
1: thing you've ever done in business what is the hardest thing you've ever done
0: i mean de- dealing with staff without any question without any question the way those problems as we've been saying will just gnaw away at you and they will dramatically reduce your productivity the social interactions staff interactions can be extraordinarily destabilizing example of um a bad one when i think back to the paul henry show in the morning which was very much ingrained in my mind i knew how i wanted it to run and i'm a perfectionist but i only care that individually you know myself personally i'm a perfectionist i don't expect other people to be perfectionists But if you're working on my show, I expect you to, at the very least, understand that I am a perfectionist and understand what I want to achieve. And I describe it very well. People don't always listen. And one of the biggest frustrations I had was the inability of people working for me on that show to understand the nuances of it, to understand how vital it was That we were making a radio program on television that that was the secret to it that that was always going to be the secret of his success and that yes i was compromising the ability for it to be a a much faster pickup from a television point of view but that what was special about it was that this was a multi-platform show and it was entirely possible for us to have done it better than we did people don't understand audio it's interesting they don't understand its the significance they don't understand that it is more important than the pictures on television way more important what about the best
1: thing the best thing that you've ever done so that the hardest thing the hardest thing is the people and that does tie into the every work problem you care about is a people problem what about the best thing you've ever done in your professional career what would you say that is
0: I thought funnily enough people will will uh, think this is really odd that I would pick on this and there are lots of things that I could pick on, but, but the first thing that came to mind was the breakfast program in Australia the the number of impediments that were placed in my way and the way of other people producing that program were staggering. I mean, truly staggering and and the saddest thing here because I don't care about not being like this is a perfect example. The saddest thing is that essentially, at the end of the day, the view was the program was a failure because Australians didn't like me or didn't like a New Zealander. Now, if that were true, I'd be okay with that. But we were so far away from finding out whether Australians liked me or not, because we were conquering so many enormous internal management production problems that we never gave it a fair shot. So that is probably my greatest frustration, but also my greatest satisfaction, the fact that we produced a program that had an audience, I suppose at its best, of about sixty thousand at its best. But it was tracking up. As things were peeled out of the program, we even lost the studio and we're doing it from the reception area. The more they peeled out of the program, the better it became. The more popular it became. The more our well-trained opposition put into fighting us because they could see that there were were some legs on this. So that that probably is one of my greatest satisfactions and, and would also sit there as one of the greatest failures. Did they want you to bomb? Yeah, yes, yes. I mean, essentially, if you look at the, forget the program, look at the management structure of 10. At the point I arrived there, all of the people who had invested in that program had gone. The program was handed over like a poison chalice before it even started to a new management team who didn't want to do the program, who didn't believe in the program, but more importantly, who knew if the program was successful, it would not be their success. I can remember sitting down and talking to Lachlan Murdoch when he was essentially offering me the job and saying to him, you know, from what little I understand of what you're wanting to do here, you realize it's going to be three years. You realize this needs a concerted commitment because it's not just you have opposition, you have well entrenched opposition, but you have two well entrenched oppositions who are expert at fighting each other. And it's that whole my enemy's enemy is my friend. For the first time in history, these two oppositions will get together to squeeze us out. So the pressure on us will be phenomenal i i was saying that i believed we could we could easily do it but not quickly do it maybe we could be presenting a respectable audience after a year in the end we were given nine months but we weren't given a stable nine months you know things were being pulled out the deck chairs were changing but as they did it as they pulled money out of the show so the show was performing better because you know Keep it simple. That's that's fascinating. I must remember that
1: for uh, the next the next shows I'm running. If I ever run Dude, shows, what are again. you
0: going to do next apart from the book?
1: So what did I do next? Well, I returned to Australia with my family, back to that media scene that had rejected Paul like a foreign object, and began making this podcast and running a media consulting business. Thanks so much to Paul for talking to me and thank you for listening. Bye for now.